Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The wellness breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the wellness guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the country place. 10 acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17 to 19. It's each and every single one of you are gonna support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Eileen Ladd from Phoenix Helix. In 2012, rheumatoid arthritis hit her like a wrecking ball. She went from fit and healthy to limping across her living room and not having the strength to wash dishes. She had pain unlike she'd ever experienced before. She went to the internet and found information about GAPS, paleo, and the Walls diet that taught her to use food as medicine with powerful results. She stopped her flare-ups for over two years without the help of steroids and immunosuppressant medication. But in 2006, it flared up again. This time, she started experiencing rapid joint changes and decided to start immunosuppressant medication. She now manages her rheumatoid arthritis with the best of paleo and conventional medicine. Welcome to the show, Eileen Laird. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Well, it's great to have you on board, and I think it's a it's a really cool story, you know. And it's a fascinating story because, as you said, as I said at the end there, you're now using you know the best of both worlds, you know, the kind of the old school uh, paleo approaches, and then the new with the conventional medicine. So it'll be really fascinating to talk to you in a little bit more depth about how you do that and how you balance that. Um, but before we get to that, you know, tell us a little bit about your story, Eileen. How did this all start for you? Yeah. So, um, like you had said in the introduction, you know, I was just kind of checking along, enjoying my life. And while a lot of people get autoimmune disease after some type of emotionally traumatic event or difficult time in their life, I was seriously just happy (laughs) and enjoying life. And then rheumatoid arthritis hit and it really did change everything pretty much. It felt like overnight. Um, but, but in a nutshell, I woke up one day with a little bit of weird foot pain and I was a massage therapist by training. So pain comes and I wasn't that worried about 
about it and did a little foot massage and thought that would take care of it. And then the same spot hurt on the opposite foot on the exact same joint, which right then I think I knew what it was, but denial is a powerful thing. So it took me about four months before I accepted it. And by then it had spread throughout my entire body. So it started in my feet, went to my hands, and then I used to call it RA Russian roulette. So every night a joint would flare so severely that I had to immobilize it or I would be gasping with pain. So my joint, like my shoulder would be in a sling one night, the next night my wrist would be in a brace, the next night my knee wouldn't be able to support my body weight, so I would have to get off my feet. If it was my jaw, I couldn't open my mouth to eat. Um, it was really terrifying for sure. Yeah. I mean, that must be just so tough. Like I've just been to the gym this morning, Eileen, and you know, I'm feeling a little bit sore after the gym and, and I'm a bit of a sook. So, you know, I go around grizzling and complaining that my shoulder might feel a little bit sore or my lower back muscles are a bit tight, but compared to that sort of pain, like it's nothing. It makes you realize how, uh, how lucky you are and how grateful you should be just to have a, a healthy functioning body. I mean, how mentally... How uh, how devastating was that? How hard was that to deal with mentally, that constant pain and I guess the uncertainty of the pain and where it was going to show up? Yeah, it's hard to describe. It's, it's absolutely devastating. I mean, um, like you said, I, I had no conception of what pain was. I thought I did and it, I really think it should have its own word when it's that excruciating. <laughs> um, and there was the fear that it would never go away and, that I, and, and the fear and how can I put it? The pain was so severe it feels like you cannot survive it, yet you have no choice but to survive it. Mm. Um, and I think that's why, you know, I was never suicidal, but that's not uncommon for people yeah. with rheumatoid arthritis. And I can see why. And I think if I didn't get pain relief, if I hadn't found paleo or if I had tried medication and they didn't work for me, I think that's when people get suicidal is they're just living with the pain day in and day out and there's no relief and how can you keep going if that's the case. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely, it, it drew on a strength I didn't know I had and, um, it was a very humbling experience too. You know, I was really healthy and I thought I was taking good care of myself Mm -hmm. and I, I think you get, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's good that you're just enjoying your life, but you almost think that can't happen to you (laughs) until it does. And then when it does, you realize you're human. You know, you're not (laughs) any better or worse than anyone else. So, yeah. Yeah. So, obviously, at some stage, you went and saw a doctor, I'm guessing, and and got an official diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, You know, how did that go? What was that visit like? How did you feel about that? But also, what sort of advice did they give you? So what I did is I went to my general doctor for the diagnosis instead of the rheumatologist because I was very stubborn and didn't didn't want the medication. And so I didn't want to have that fight. I didn't want to have the argument. It's not necessarily what I would recommend for people, but uh, that's what I did. And so my doctor knew me very well. He knew I was more into natural living. He was very supportive of me trying diet first. He was really hopeful that that would work for me. And, you know, we knew who the rheumatologist was in town if I ever needed them down the road. So it was still devastating. I mean, I it, even though I knew what it was, um, I still remember dri- driving into the lab parking lot to get the blood work drawn for the diagnosis, and I felt like I was having a panic attack because I did not yeah. want that to be true, even though I knew it was true. And when I got the results, I burst into tears, even though, again, I knew it was true. I just think, I don't know, it just made it more real. Yeah, yeah, you kind of you kind of hope it's going to be something else, or that you know you might just have it wrong. Yeah, exactly. So you said you're into natural living before this happened. So what was what was natural living for you before you had this experience? 
Now, I was not paleo and I wasn't even gluten-free, but I did, you know, eat organically. I did do home-cooked meals. I ate tons of vegetables, so that actually wasn't new for me. I ate as many vegetables as Terry Walls recommends on the Walls Protocol, but I had them alongside grains and dairy, you know, every day. Um, And at that time, I didn't know that that was an unhealthy way to be. I was also physically active. Like my job was a massage therapist. That's really physically demanding. And then for fun, I I enjoyed hiking and I live in the mountains. So we're talking pretty strenuous hiking. Um, I did some strength training just to keep myself fit that way. I enjoyed yoga. Um, I was someone who never did drugs. So that was never an issue for me. People laugh at me. My alcohol tolerance is so low. One glass of wine makes me tipsy. So I mean, I wasn't, I didn't do anything like that or smoking. So, so overall, I think in terms of vices and healthy living, I was doing well, but not to the level of paleo. And that was just not even on my radar. I hadn't even heard of it until I got RA. Um, obviously, um, you know, you, you got the RA, you started looking around on the internet and, you know, if you have a look around on the internet, you'll find all sorts of different uh, suggestions around what causes RA, you'll find all sorts of different solutions around what you should do for RA, you know, people will talk about, um, you know, low acidity diets, people will talk about going vegan or vegetarian, other people will talk about GAPS or paleo. How did you decide which way you wanted to go to try and approach healing your RA? Well, I started with what was easiest and moved from there. So I actually went gluten-free first and it did nothing for me. My inflammation was still skyrocketing. And so then I went ahead and tried vegetarian and vegan because I ate so many vegetables anyway. And I just, you know, mainstream media makes you think that's the way to go. And so I tried that and my inflammation kept skyrocketing. And then it was actually Mm -hmm. a vegetarian friend whose mother used GAPS for um, Crohn's disease who told me about it. And she said, maybe you maybe you would do better on that diet. And so I, I bought the books, I learned about gaps, and I started it. And within one week, I could feel the inflammation starting to recede. And so that was the first step mm-hmm. on my journey. And that eventually led me to full paleo and then the paleo autoimmune protocol, which is what stopped my flares altogether. Yeah, wow. So, so you started with, sorry, with gaps, is that correct? Yes. And so gaps are the first stages of gaps. Uh, it's quite restrictive, you know, in terms of what you're able to eat. Um, how did you find that first phase of the GAPS diet? It was so fine. I mean, I was in so much pain and I was, I was just, uh, it was like a daily torture. So anything that felt like hope and also something I could try to do to help myself felt empowering. And the GAPS introduction diet that you're talking about, is largely soup-based. I mean, broths, and it removes pretty much all fiber, I think, at the beginning. And it's supposed to do some really serious gut healing. Um, and I probably did need that. I, my inflammation was just crazy town at that point. And um, when you're feeling kind of sick and bad, it's having a nice hot cup of soup isn't is kind of nice anyway. So I didn't now would, I think it would feel more restrictive to me now to do that diet than it did then. So then it was fine. And I only did it for, I did it for 30 days. I did the introduction and then I moved on to full gaps and because gaps does allow dairy, if it's high quality, um, nice shades I knew to avoid just because if you look, like you said, if you go on the internet for RA, it doesn't matter what Mm -hmm diet, vegan or paleo, they all tell you to avoid nightshades. So I was avoiding those, but I was still eating um, like high quality grass fed dairy. And um, I made my own homemade goat's milk kefir. And that was one of the reasons I, I was still continuing to flare. I just didn't realize it till I went AIP. 
Yeah, okay. So people often talk about, as you said, the initial stages of GAPS diet and they talk about, you know, die-off and the symptoms that can come with that. Uh, what, were the, what were the positive and negative symptoms you noticed when you first started doing the GAPS diet? I had no negatives at all. So okay. that was nice. <laughs> yeah. But it might have just been that I felt so bad, like I wouldn't have been able to tell if I could feel any worse. Yeah. Um, well, and it's possible, so, I guess, that if you weren't having huge amounts of sugar or caffeine or alcohol or other things that might be more, I guess, addictive, might cause more withdrawal symptoms. I guess that you're perhaps having wheat, which sometimes can do that for people. Then maybe if you're a bit cleaner to start with, you don't have as many of those withdrawals. That could be. That could be. Yeah. And so instead, it seemed to have a dramatic anti-inflammatory effect. Like I remember I couldn't wear shoes. I was wearing like loosely um, buckled Birkenstock sandals because my feet were so swollen. And within a week, I could wear shoes. So just to give you an example of the inflammation starting to go down, I was still in pain um, and I was still pretty limited. And it, it wasn't an overnight success in terms of I didn't go from being completely disabled to being able to hike again, but um, but progress was happening, and that's how yeah. I knew I was on the right path. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I guess when you're coming from that sort of base, any progress would just feel amazing. You know, anything that feels oh, like yeah. hitting the right direction mentally as much as physically would just be fantastic. Yeah, even just not getting worse because I was I had gotten steadily worse. It, it, the first symptoms were in January. I started gaps in June. So, and I had tried things like the gluten-free and the vegan and the, you know, between then and, and it was just didn't matter. I was just getting worse. So from January to June was an increase in inflammation. And then, yeah, so starting gaps, just even feel the inflammation plateau felt like a relief. So then at some stage you moved from gaps to the autoimmune protocol. You know, what was it mm -hmm. that stimulated you to make those changes and, and what sort of changes did you have to make to go from gaps to autoimmune protocol? I plateaued in my healing. So about five months into the GAPS diet, I was doing a lot better. I was able to go back to work part-time. Um, but I should clarify for people, since I mentioned I was a massage therapist, I didn't go back to deep tissue massage. I also knew how to do lymph drainage therapy and cranial sacral, and they're pretty light on the hands. So that's what I was doing. Um, but I could only work part-time. I was still pretty fatigued. I could walk across my house. Um, I think I Maybe walk like a half mile before limping, but at that point I would start limping. And um, I was no longer wearing braces, like so slings and wrist braces were no longer necessary, but I was in pain every day. It would just felt more yeah. manageable, but I thought life can get better than this. And then I think I was ready for the AIP. So I know some people are, are totally ready to jump from their old diet straight to the AIP, but that's pretty intense. And for me, having a stepping stone before getting there was a good thing. And I also, when I first heard about the AIP, I thought it was forever and I thought it would just be too hard to do that forever. And then I learned it wasn't forever. It was really an elimination diet. And so that felt more manageable for me. So the things I had to change, I had to give up dairy altogether. Um, I was still eating actually nightshade spices, but not the vegetables. Cause I thought, how could a little bit of paprika or cayenne hurt me? It's such a tiny amount. It's just a dusting. And I learned it really could. <laughs> but so I had to give up those when I went AIP. I gave up eggs. It turned out, turns out I'm not intolerant to them, but I did give those up. And I had to give up my chocolate. GAPS allows you to have chocolate. Um, so when I went AIP, I had to give that up. But I got some of these foods back during the reintroduction process. Yeah, so tell us about the reintroduction process then. Uh, obviously, you've, you've gone on to the AOP, you've noticed even better changes, you know, even more improvement. Um, so at what stage, how far along the process do you start reintroducing and what did you start to reintroduce first? Yeah, so 
the rule with the AIP is you have to do it a minimum of 30 days to give your body a chance to, I guess, calm down the immune response to any foods that you were reacting to that you eliminate during the protocol. And some people do it for longer. Some people do that elimination phase for up to a year. I did it for six weeks. And how you decide when to start reintroducing foods is based on two things. One is you need to see some improvement in your symptoms or you won't have a baseline to be able to tell when you reintroduce a food if it makes you feel worse. And then you also just need to kind of watch your mental health. Um, (laughs) For me, I got just madder and madder the longer I was on the AIP because I felt um, it was just sucking the fun out of my kitchen. I, I didn't like that. It was also three years ago, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but there weren't that many resources. So instead of having all of these creative AIP recipes, of which there are now thousands to use, I was trying to just remove things from old recipes I liked, which make, which made them flavorless. So it wasn't Mm. very fun. So, um, so, but I improved enough in six weeks that I could tell that that there was something to this protocol. One of these foods, I at least one of these foods I shouldn't be eating. And so when I did the reintroductions, um, there's two ways you can go there. You can start with the foods that Dr. Sarah Ballantyne says are the least likely to cause you to have a negative response and work your way up to the ones most likely, or you can just do the foods you miss the most and then (laughs) go from that. And, um, and the reason I think it's fine either way is that everyone is different anyway. Like, so for example, eggs are one of the most common food allergies, right? So for some people, that's going to be huge, but other people like me, it's seriously not a problem. And so even though that had the potential to be an inflammation trigger for me, it it turned out it wasn't. So I'm trying to remember what I introduced first. I think it might've been eggs because that can expand your diet so much. Yeah, It makes, you know, convenience food easy and quick meals. So I think I did that one first. I think a chocolate second. And then I got more, I got more scientific from there. Well, I was, I was about to ask you, what were the things that you missed the most when you started doing the AIP protocol? And I have a suspicion you may have just given me the answer. What was it? Eggs yeah. and chocolate? Were they the two biggest yeah. ones? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say, I think I missed all of it really. That So the biggest inflammation triggers for me turns out to be dairy and nightshades. And that includes nightshade spices. Um, I made these when I reintroduced those, I, I just made some taco burgers with a little bit of chili powder and cayenne and paprika and other spices thrown in like oregano. And it was a tiny amount, you know, spread out in a couple of pounds of ground beef. And I woke up the next day feeling like I was 90 years old and it was wild. My husband looked at me and he said, wow, I haven't seen you look like that in a long time. You know, it was just, it was interesting because every movement hurt and it took two weeks before that inflammation went away. So that was dramatic information for me to have. Um, And what happens, I think, when you have a failed reintroduction is you grieve it because you know that you really can't eat that food anymore. It's um, it's too harmful to you. But I who doesn't love nightshades? I mean, tomatoes and I love hot, spicy stuff, you know. Um, salsas and whatnot. And you can find AIP versions of them, but let's face it, they don't taste the same. They yeah. might be flavorful, but they're not the same. So um, so I cried every time a reintroduction failed and did a happy dance every time one succeeded. But <laughs> at the end of the process, I was just really grateful for the information because it's, it's empowering. It, me- it meant that I could control the amount of pain I was having. And for dairy, I found out even all kinds of dairy made me flare. So I couldn't have even ghee makes me flare. And then... Um, even I tried the fermented goat's milk dairy again just because 
both because it was goat and fermented. I thought it might make a difference and it didn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's off the table. And I love butter. I'm so bummed I can't have butter. So, <laughs> well, that's, I know, guess, the it's, thing. It's, it's so individual. It's so different for everyone. But but doing that autoimmune protocol allows you to really figure out which ones are the, the obvious triggers and, and cause the obvious symptoms at least, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It gives you – so, again, it's not like it's a cure, but it really cuts down the amount of inflammation that your body has to contend with. And I think when you have autoimmune disease, you're just really sensitive to any extra inflammation. And what's powerful about paleo diet and lifestyle, you know, addressing sleep and stress and getting outside in the sunshine and moving in a way that feels good to you, all of those things, like, access your body's anti-inflammatory potential. So, your autoimmune disease – um, isn't so activated. It doesn't make it go away completely, but it can really minimize the expression of it. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I always wonder about with these sort of autoimmune protocols, Eileen, is I guess, you know, the, the symptoms of autoimmune disease, you know, we know that one of them is inflammation, um, but there are many different symptoms that can that can happen as a result of autoimmune disease, and they're different for everyone. So everyone seems to get mm-hmm. different uh, different amounts of all of the different symptoms. And so I guess my question is, if you're, if you're doing something like an autoimmune protocol, and, and what you're really using to judge your progress is the obvious symptoms, you know, does it change my obvious visible or noticeable symptoms, do you ever wonder whether maybe you've reintroduced something that hasn't necessarily caused you obvious or noticeable symptoms, but might actually be affecting your health and might be causing problems later on down the track, even though you don't really know it? I mean, it's absolutely possible. There there are a few things you can do to kind of help suss that out. So one is that for me, I also learned that I had other reactions that weren't RA related. So mm. my first response to a food intolerance was insomnia, which is interesting. Mm. And I only learned that through the reintroduction process because it's not something I contend with normally. Normally, I, I fall asleep fast. So um, so that was interesting. So if I reintroduced a food and then I had trouble falling asleep that night, I would, I would kind of wonder what the next day was going to be like mm. for me. Um, and then for things that were only... And, and what am I trying to say? So with the reintroduction process too, like with nightshades, the very next day, I felt awful. I knew there was no question. But when I reintroduced nuts, I had insomnia. And then the next day, I felt fine. So what I did is I went ahead and had them every day for a week just to see if something cumulative happened. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I was able to feel it. So if I just had them once, it wasn't a problem. But by the end of the week, um, I was getting stiffer, 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 and then I finally had a flare. So yeah. um, it was more like a low-grade response instead of an intense response. So I think that's one way. And then you may know of other ways I've only heard about it recently is apparently there is a way you can test um, antibody response in your body, which isn't the test that the conventional doctors run. Are you familiar with anything like that? I, I know there's a few of them around, like testing the immunoglobulins and, and things like that to try and see you know, whether your immune yeah, system I, is reacting and mounting a defense. Um, which, which makes I don't know sense. how accurate it is, but if it is accurate, that could be helpful to, like you said, if yeah. something invisible is going on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, Eileen, at some stage, uh, well, I was about to say this year, last year, because we've just uh, ticked over into the new year, um, you, you, re- you, know, you had another flare-up and you, and you decided that you needed to combine conventional medicine with your paleo gaps AIP approaches. Um, you know, you said at the start that you were really someone who liked to focus on natural therapies, that you weren't someone who liked to take medication. Um, how hard was that decision for you and, and how did you come to make that decision? 
it was it was heartbreaking and now it's not i'm at peace with it now but um it was heartbreaking. It was something I really thought I had figured out a way to avoid. <laughs> I thought that the uh, paleo diet was going to work as well for me as medication. And I think in a way it did. I know when they measure the effectiveness of autoimmune medication, even if you improve by 20%, they call that a success. Um, and I certainly improved far better than that. But I never achieved remission. And I was always honest about that on my blog. I told people I felt about 95% better, but I still felt how I would describe it is that there was a whisper of RA in my body where it used to be a scream. And needless to say, that feels a lot better. But that whisper was a scary whisper. And that meant that disease activity was still happening. And what happened after a couple of years is, um, so I'm 40, how old am I now? I think I just turned 48. I'm sorry, I don't pay that close attention. But anyway, I'm perimenopausal. So my hormones are kind of all over the place. And so what happened about a year before I decided to go on medication is with those alterations, there's an autoimmune response to them. And my, I, I didn't flare to the level I had in the past. I didn't need braces. Um, it wasn't that bad, but it felt very familiar. Um, so my jaw would swell to the point that I couldn't, I didn't have like a normal bite, but I could still eat. So for, to give you an example, but it still made me really nervous that my jaw was swollen. And similarly, I might have a week where I couldn't go for a walk because my foot had swollen. So I was having these mini flares and then what started happening is instead of them just going away with no damage being done, I started losing range of motion. And with RA, that's what you need to really watch because that can be permanent. So I was losing my ability to make a fist and I was losing my ability to move my left shoulder um, at all, actually. Yeah. So uh, so I, I had to, you know, look at other options. And I realized it was something, I, like I said before, I was kind of stubborn, so I had never considered it. And I had it, a lot of people come to paleo when medication fails them, when medication isn't enough, when medication only gives them that 20% and they're still flaring and they're still getting damage and they want something else. And I never tried it. And I think I just always believed it would hurt me instead of help me. Yeah. And I realized that that wasn't really a fair assessment since I had never tried it. And that I am someone who's very in tune with my body. So if I ever felt like it was starting to hurt me, I could stop it at any time. Mm -hmm. But if it could help me, why was I denying myself that option? So I, yeah, it, so I started it last year in 2016 and it was, it was definitely the hard, one of the hardest decisions I ever made. It's, it, it was a good decision though for me. And what has your experience been since taking the medication and how do you now balance it? Like how do you figure out how much medication you take and, and how you balance that with your paleo approach? How does that work for you? Yeah. So for me, I didn't, um, changed my paleo approach at all. So I, I, I consider that like my foundation of my medical protocol. So it's not like I went on medication and was like, yeah, I can go have some pizza now or something like that's not my personality. <laughs> um, instead, I was, I want that remission, you know, if I can get it. And so that was kind of my goal. And they started um, and with medication for any of your listeners. And it's just, it's again, it's kind of like the um, AIP. It's very individual in terms of what medication works for what person. There's a lot of trial and error. Some people have side effects to one, don't have side effects to another. Some people have help from one and don't, you know, don't get helped by another. And so it's been a process of trial and error for me. 
Um, and I'm just now getting to the point where it looks like remission might be coming, which feels really good, but it's been almost a full year. So it's interesting how long that took. And I would say in the beginning, I was frustrating with how little it did. Um, the first medications we tried dropped my blood markers, but didn't touch my joint pain or range of motion at all. Um, and it was interesting because the rheumatologist said, yeah, that's typical. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. <laughs> they said, yeah, your blood work looks fine, but obviously it's not helping your RA. So, um, so that was interesting. I did try prednisone, which they wanted me to try, and I had a kind of typical negative response. I shouldn't call it typical. I do know some people who feel really good on it. Um, I had almost no benefit and all of the negatives. Um, mm. I could just feel it just hurting my body in every way. It messed with my moods, my sleep. I was bruising easily. You have to get your blood drawn to check your liver levels. My veins were collapsing, so they couldn't draw my blood. Um, I was, it was just it was bad. So I went off that as quickly as I could. Um, and then finally, let's say we tried actually a couple of biologics. And so the latest biologic seems to be working. So when I look at this now, like a year ago, it's crazy to me that I've tried all of these medications that used to scare me so much. But, um, but where it's similar to the AIP for me is it's a self-experiment. I just think it's another self-experiment. You, yeah. you kind of try something and see how your body responds. And if it responds well, you keep doing it. If it responds poorly, you stop. And that's like an empowered patient perspective that I have. Yeah. Um, and my doctors know that I am paleo. And the response to that, I've actually had three doctors in this year, and it's not because I've changed. It's just they've kind of, it's weird it, with the economy. People are getting laid off and rehired and moved around. And, and so each one has responded a little differently. <laughs> um, but no one has been really negative like they'll say one said that that they feel that paleo can be really pain relieving but not disease modifying mm. um, another one said that she gave it full credit for the fact that I was able to wait so long before taking medication and she thought it absolutely did slow down the progression of my disease but mm -hmm. it just didn't stop it completely and then the third one he's just doesn't think diet does anything <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I figure what they think doesn't really matter you know um, yeah. Their job is to help me try this medication experiment. We don't really need to agree on the rest. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that's a great way to approach it. You know, to understand that there's there's someone that's there, just like everyone else, to give you some information and to allow you to make an informed choice. But at the end of the day, you get to choose what you want to do with that information and, and how you want to take it. So, I think that's great, and it's great to be a, a proactive uh, patient when it comes to healthcare and uh, and figure out what works for you and take on board the bits that work for you and and take charge of your own health because I think that's really essential in this modern world. So that's great, Eileen. Now. You've got a website and a social media profile and a podcast called Phoenix Helix. We, we haven't got much time left, Eileen, but I'd love you to tell us a little bit about Phoenix Helix. Sure. So it's just, I mean, everything about what I put out there is about thriving with autoimmune disease. You know, using everything at our disposal to feel the best that we can. Everything from the mind-body connection to diet and now to medication, if that's the right choice for people. And I don't tell everyone they need to go on medication, actually. That's a really personal decision. Um, it's just one that's, I'm now upfront about the fact that I have made. Um, in terms of the name, Phoenix Helix. So Phoenix came from... Um, you know, when I got rheumatoid arthritis, I, I felt like I'd been knocked to the ground and I literally felt like I was on fire. That's kind of what the pain feels like. It feels like your body is on fire. So I wanted an image of hope. 
And I wanted to know that I could rise above those flames. And so that's the phoenix. And then the helix just represents the DNA, our, our ability to, if we can't change our DNA completely, we can certainly change how it expresses itself. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it's just like you said, living an empowered life. Perfect. I love that. Now, you've also written a bunch of books. You've got four different books. You've got a simple guide to the AIP. You've got the Paleo AIP Reintroduction Guide. You've got the Paleo AIP Instant Pot Cookbook. And you've got 85 amazing AIP breakfasts. That's a, that's a lot of different breakfasts. So, Eileen, what is your favorite AIP breakfast? And what is your favorite AIP Instant Pot meal? Okay. For breakfast, it's actually it's chicken soup homemade chicken soup. We make a huge batch, my husband and I, and it feeds us for like 10 servings. And it's just an incredibly nourishing way to start the day. And I know that can seem strange to anyone who's used to starting their day with bacon and eggs or cereal or um, more traditional foods. But I don't know, just starting the day with that warm broth. um, It's easy to digest. It's nourishing. I love it. And then for the Instant Pot Cookbook, I would say it's the Swedish meatballs. Um, The Instant Pot Uh. Cookbook is a collaborative cookbook Actually, both the Breakfast Cookbook and the Instant Pot Cookbook, I have a bunch of bloggers who submitted recipes, and I'm the editor of these books, and some of my recipes are in there. So that chicken soup one I mentioned is mine in the Breakfast Cookbook, but the Instant Pot Cookbook has a Swedish meatball recipe from Andrea from Forest and Fauna, and I could eat that every day except that I know we need variety in our diets. It's amazing. That's awesome. That sounds delicious, actually. Swedish meatballs sounds really good right about now. I'm a bit hungry after doing my gym this morning before this podcast, so that sounds really good. Um, thank you so much for coming on today, Eileen. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a very easy interview. It's nice to have a fellow podcaster on. It makes it so much easier. Well done. Thank you. It was fun talking with you. For everyone else, until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.